0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us, Be sure to appoint over you a king, the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives... ...or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll... ...a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life... ...so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God... And follow carefully all the words of his law and those decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. And turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel.
1: Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Rita. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle. Good. Um yeah, we're returning to our ser- sermon series in Deuteronomy. These are the words that Moses preached to the people of Israel before they entered into the promised land. And uh, and the, the reading um, is, is about when they're in the land, uh, when they want a king, how do they appoint a king? What is that king to be like? What is that king to do? It's all about leadership. Now, for For us, um, none of us are kings or queens, I I suspect not. And even in the New Testament, that kind of language isn't really used very often. The terms used for leadership in the church are terms like elder, shepherd or pastor, deacon, which means servant, or apostle, which is sent one. And the, the term of leader or king is reserved specifically for Jesus, Jesus is the king of the church. Jesus is the one over which everything in heaven and earth falls under his authority. Jesus is the king. But what this passage does as it kind of unpacks what are kings to be like in the nation of Israel, it shows us what leadership looks like amongst God's people. What does leadership look like in God's house? Now, we're in a little bit of a moment in, in our the leadership of our church. I, I, wanna, uh, I don't want to deny that. I don't want to dwell on that. Um, someone else was meant to be coming and, and preaching this message, uh, but I felt uh, important that um, I read and, and, and preach from this, for lessons that I could learn from God's Word. And as we go and, and read this and study it and reflect what does leadership look like in God's house, as we begin to do that, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for um, that it is powerful and active and ever relevant to us. Lord, we pray you would open up our hearts to, to receive your word, to hear your word. Lord, it will be very easy to think of other people. It be very easy to consider um, other people and other things. But Lord, we pray that you would help us reflect personally. We are all leaders in some context. How are you challenging us to grow? How are you challenging us to lead with grace and not with gravity? And we pray that all of us as individuals would reflect and learn and your spirit would work in us so that us as a community could grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 14, do have the text open. We'll go back to that first slide, Liam. I won't go there for a while. The, um, the, when Israel enters into the land... Uh, Moses predicts the situation, or God predicts the situation, eventually they'll desire a king, a desire, a monarchy to rule and reign over them to to, to be like the other nations. All the other nations have kings. Uh, But Israel have judges uh, to to rule and to um, govern the people. But there will come a moment where uh, it's, where they'll say, let us have a king over us, just like all the other nations. And Deuteronomy doesn't really portray that as a negative thing, necessarily. And I suspect ultimately because that kingship will will eventually lead to King Jesus. So it's in a way, this this is setting up a path for the great king of kings. But it does give stipulations, it gives instructions to how this king is to be important and what this king is to be like. The first thing, um, uh, verse 15, the first stipulation for the kings. What a, what, a, uh, what does leadership look like in God's house? It says, be sure to appoint over you a king that the Lord your God chooses. Be sure to appoint a king that the Lord your God chooses. It's not necessarily who is the most qualified or who is the most charismatic or who's the most powerful. It's the one that God chooses. And it's interesting, in the history of Israel, when they get to this point in in, in uh, 1 Samuel, you can read it, when they get to the point asking for a king, um, they select, the, the nations conspire, they, they select this guy called Saul who is Tall, he's powerful, he's attractive, he's he's got all the credentials, uh, but he's not from the tribe of Judah, which is actually what God had already prophesied the kingship would be in. He wasn't the king that God chose. The king that God chose was King David. Who was a child? He was he was the, the weakest and smallest of all of his brothers. Even the point when, when the, the judge Samuel came to, to talk to the family about um, about who's going to be king, uh, the the family didn't even present David as an option. He was unassuming, unimpressive. Who are the kind of leaders that God chooses? It's not always the powerful, the people who've got it all together, the people who who have the capability and the charisma to lead, to influence people. Often it's the lowly. Often it's it's people who don't have everything together, it's weak and, and frail people, so that it proves that it's God's power at work. God raises up people into positions of leadership. And I think the lesson for all of us is that leadership is not something to assume. It's not something that we push ourselves into, that I'm a leader and I deserve this and I've got to be in this position. And and because I'm in this position, I'm entitled. I get to justify whatever behavior I act with. We don't assume leadership, we're called into it. We're called into it by a greater leader, a greater authority. That's God, the King of Kings. In God's leadership, sorry, in God's house, leadership is not assumed, it's a calling. The next thing uh, that, that Moses goes into from verse 16, he kind of gives some warnings uh, some occupational hazards for kings. Kings in uh, the ancient Near East have a particular bad habit of amassing uh, chariots, wives, and riches. Well, you, can put, you can alliterate it in so many ways. It's like a preacher's dream. Uh, they go for greed, girls, and glory. <laughs> Power, pleasure, possessions. Moses and God, through Moses, instructs the kings, don't chase after those things. Don't use your position of authority and power to gravitate to yourself uh, chariots. He, the first thing he says, you must not acquire a great number of horses for himself uh, or, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. And, and the, in, in the ancient Near East and, and even not that long ago, the way to demonstrate power is to have a big army. And horses back in that culture, it's kind of the equivalent of a tank, like demonstrating a massive, massive army, masses of mounts of power. He also says, do not take for yourself many wives uh, or, or your heart will be led astray. He also says, do not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. Accumulate wealth and possessions to yourself. Use your position to build great houses, build great things for yourself. Leaders throughout history have done this. And even the Israelite kings did this. David failed on these levels. King Solomon like famously had over a thousand wives and concubines. He had a, a, he's known for his wealth, and he's known for the amount of horses that he, he had. He, in, he built entire cities to house all the horses and chariots that he'd, he'd, he'd gathered from around the world, and particularly from Egypt. There's, there's also, culturally behind this text, there's, there's something deeper going on. All the horses clearly demonstrate power. The taking wives is also a, a status thing for the kings back there. This is how you make alliances with other nations, by taking on wives. Uh, like King Solomon married the queen of Egypt. Uh, and um, beca- that, that became um, an alliance for them. And it's a way to demonstrate power and to mass control globally. And same as wealth. The more wealth you have, the more power you have. The more control you can have over people. And all these, all these symbols are symbols of power and control that kings can have over their kingdom. And this goes against what God is all about. Because the king is not the one with all the power. God is the God with all of the power and the rule, and the authority. And the occupational hazard here for kings is they they lead with gravity. This is a term I, I learned from a guy, George Savides, at a leadership conference many years ago. Leading with gravity, where you lead, where you gravitate things to yourself. You pull in power, recognition, uh, control. You, you lead uh, so that everything comes to you all the responsibility, all the glory, all the benefits, it's all about you. And this is what Deuteronomy is warning against, leading with gravity, using your position to to meet needs within yourself. And that's where the Maslow hierarchy of needs come up. If we can have that slide. We're going to get a bit psychological for a bit. It's not... Why, why do people lead with gravity? Why do people lead in selfish ways? Why do, people, why do we do that, right? We all lead with gravity. We make it about ourselves all the time, myself included. And psychologists talk about it's because of the, the needs that we feel we need to meet. And the, the highest of those is love and belonging, self-esteem, and self actualization. And so, leaders or people in any kind of position use whatever means necessary to fill those needs. And leaders use their position to 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 seek love and gain love and belonging. And I can I can relate to I feel that as a pastor and in leadership, I love it when people encourage me. I love it that I love it that I'm loved in this community. We feed self esteem, the respect and the, the value that is put on me as a leader that feeds this need deep inside of myself as I need to be valued. The need of self-actualization, of of identity. What is my purpose? Who am I at my core? And to, to, to feed that need by being a leader, being in charge, being the one in control is, is who I am at my corest of core. It feeds that deepest need. And when people use their leadership to, to meet those needs, to fill those needs, that's, that's when problems start happening. That's where we, we begin to fall into self-justification because we need to meet those needs. We defend our position. We, we can't let our leadership be challenged. We fall into self-indulgence for look how I'm leading look at what I'm doing so I'm I'm I can indulge myself in other ways it leads into selfish leader leadership it leads into leading with gravity drawing to yourself this is not what leadership looks like in God's house I can go back to that first slide if that's if that's what we're not meant to do what is good leadership What is godly leadership? It's leading from a place of security and identity in Jesus. The fact that we're called into leadership, not that we've gained that, not that we've taken it for ourselves, but that we're called into. So the core of identity is not that we are a leader or a pastor or a a dad or a mom or, or whatever else we might be doing. The core of our identity is that we are a child of God. We're chosen by God for this role. He's, he's the one that's given us a purpose. God is the one that's in control. God is the one that shows us grace. And so we can lead with grace, which is not gravity pulling in, but grace giving out, putting others' needs before our own, sharing the benefit and the glory and the recognition and the responsibility of leadership. It's leading as a submission to the great leader, the king of kings. So in God's house, leadership is not assumed, it's a calling. In God's house, leaders lead with grace, not gravity. And in God's house, leaders submit themselves to the great leader. How do we keep from falling into this trap of, of leading with gravity, making it about ourselves? making it, you know, how can this church fit into my world? Deuteronomy gives us the answer. The instruction for kings is when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law, of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest, is to be with him. And he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So the only task, the only responsibility given in in these stipulations for kings, the only thing that Deuteronomy tells kings to do is to write out a copy of the law for himself the only thing. Now, don't don't get confused. Kings are very busy, <laughs> right? This is a quote Luke uh, Luke Austin during the week. We we're talking about it. Kings are very busy, very busy. Leadership is, uh, it's a lot of work. There's lots to do. Kings have like people to lead. They've got um, cities to manage, they've got building projects, they've got governance issues, they've got all this stuff going on. And that's not denied in here. But the one thing they're told to do is to write out a copy of the law and keep that for themselves and read it every day. Of course, kings had lots to do, but the highest priority... Is their identity not as a king and a ruler, but their identity as a student, as a servant of God. They're, what's more important is not so much about the task that they have to do, but the law that they are to follow. They're students of God, reading his word, writing it out. That's what, that's what students would do, would write out the, the law, the scribes. Write it out. The kings were to do that. And at the heart of heart of it, it recognizes that and reminds them that there's there's a greater king. There's the king of kings. They're called into this role, not for themselves, but to serve a greater purpose, a greater God. And the result of, of this practice of kings writing out the law and reading it, every day. There's a few things that happen uh, as they did that. The first is that they may learn to revere, or um, other translation, they learn to fear, fear the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and the decrees. The fear of God is a big theme through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And uh, a way I like to define the fear of God is understanding our place in God's world not god's place in our world but our place in god's world and as the king would t- would read the word again and again he would be reminded that he's been chosen into this role he didn't he didn't assume it he didn't take it for himself he was chosen into it by god that he has a role to play in god's kingdom and it removes that that sense of gravity of it's all about me and this is my world, my kingdom, it, inst- it grows fear in, the- in him. The fear of this is God's world and God's a big God and God's the God that's in control. And what's my place? Submitting to him, obeying his laws and his decrees. The next thing that it does is that verse twenty, uh, the king would not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. That the king wouldn't think that he's better than everyone else. That he's on another level. That he's he's unaccountable. There's there's the law is is written for the people of Israelites to follow to submit to. The king is not exempt from that. He's not. He doesn't have excuses not to obey the law. He's no better than anyone else. And with that comes a sense of accountability as a king and as a leader. Leaders aren't exempt from accountability in the house of God. Um, there's this uh, researcher, Dr. Wayland B. Moore... Probably not, or maybe related to the Moors, but I assume no relation. But they did this study where they uh, they um, surveyed two hundred ministers who revealed that they had committed adultery in, in as as pastors or uh, ministers. So a very interesting um, study. Talking with each one, it was discovered they had four things in common. Four things. The first, that they never believed that it would happen to them. That was the first thing. They never thought, this would never be me. I hear about these, so it would never be me. I'm better than that. They thought that. The second thing is that they each had regular contact in contact in their ministry with an attractive lady or with someone. So there's access, there's someone. That was the second thing. The last two are really interesting. The third one is that none of them were in any sort of accountability group. They didn't meet regularly with other Christians to keep accountable. That they were separate in their leadership, taken out of um, accountability and out of uh, a wider corporate authority. They weren't accountable. They didn't feel that they were accountable to anyone else because they were the leader. They were in charge. Everyone else was accountable to them, but they weren't accountable to anyone else. They felt they were better than, there, than others. And the last one is that each had little or no regular quiet time for personal feeding and confession. They weren't in the Word. They weren't spending time submitting themselves to God's Word and God's law. And that, that was the, the four things in common, these 200 ministers who committed adultery. Removing themselves from accountability and removing themselves from submitting to God's word, not reading it, not giving themselves over to it. What's required and expected of kings in the kingdom of Israel is that they're chosen, they're not assumed, that they lead with grace and not gravity, and they submit themselves to the king of kings, the king of kings. Now, there's one who comes later in the line of King David, who was the king that God chose. There was one who came after him, who came was sent by God and he ruled over Israel and he rules over the world. But how did he rule? What was his great inaugural victory that earned him the right to be king? That, that His great act of king wasn't sitting up on a throne and, and making everything about himself, but actually dying on a cross and giving his life so that everyone else, so all of us, might be forgiven, might be saved, might be restored, might be invited into the family of God. All of us have, have, have needs, right? All of us, in any position of leadership, we need to be loved. We need to belong. We need to have self-actualization. We need to understand where our identity is and have an intrinsic self of value and an, an identity, and what Jesus does is he gives us that. He died on a cross and he rose again to give us life, to give us a new identity as the children of God, give us purpose, give us value. He gives us love. Our heavenly father loves us beyond what we can ever imagine. And so as, as leaders, as, as individuals, we we don't need to keep leading with gravity or doing things, making things about ourselves, so we serve our own need, we chase our own sense of identity with the things that we do and how we lead because we know that we are filled by the love of God. We are filled by the love of God. We don't need to chase that anywhere else. A God who loves us even in spite of all of our failings, even in spite of betraying Him, and our selfishness, and our brokenness, and our hurt. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Kings in Israel are called to live, to, to lead with gravity, lead with grace, not with gravity. And the greatest act of that is King Jesus Showing us grace beyond our wildest dreams, giving us more than we deserve, so much more. Giving us life, giving us purpose, giving us meaning, giving us value. And it's that grace shown to us that equips us to lead with grace because we don't need to to make it all about us. We don't need to lead and and feed our own needs, because God has given us everything we need to overflowing so that we can give of ourselves to others. We can live with grace because of the grace that we have been given. In God's house, leaders are not assumed. It's a calling. In God's house, leaders lead with grace, not gravity. And in God's house, leaders submit themselves to the great leader, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that has shown us grace beyond what we can imagine. Let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you for that what he not only what he demonstrated and and what a great role model for leadership, we thank you that he actually leads us, that he is king, that all of heaven and earth are under his authority. Well, we, We thank you that you are in control so that we don't have to be you are in control for, so things cannot go our way and we can be safe and secure in that. That we don't need to lead from a place of insecurity, but lead from a place of absolute confidence in you and what you are doing and your power and your work in our lives and your work through us. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to challenge us. Lord, continue to convict us in the, of those areas uh, where we are, Uh, leading with gravity and and, um, gaining for ourselves uh, possessions or power or control or, or, or feeding our own pleasures with the roles that you've called into. Lord, show us that. Convict us of that. Challenge us of that. And Lord, change us, transform us. Lord, that you've given us forgiveness and healing and given us an invitation into your family. You've made us children of God so that we don't have to lead that way. We don't have to to abuse our power to, to meet our own needs. But Lord, we can give of ourselves to serve those around us in leadership. Jesus said, for the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Lord, we, we, we see that model, and we aspire to it. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could live and so that we could lead in your house for your glory. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name.